podcast is brought to you by CEW Plus at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor as we work to serve our community during this unprecedented time of change. Resiliency is best demonstrated in times of challenges. Join CEW Plus Director Tiffany Mara as she talks to students, staff, faculty, and community members connected to the University of Michigan's Center for the Education of Women Plus in our podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. Today's podcast features Kira Scott, who is an undergraduate student in the College of Literature, Science, and the Arts. Kira is a 2020 recipient of the CEW AAUW Mary Elizabeth Bittman Memorial Scholarship, recognizing women and underserved students whose studies have been interrupted to complete degrees in their chosen fields. Kira, welcome to the Strength in the Midst of Change podcast. Can you please introduce yourself and tell me a bit about your educational focus and career goals? Sure. So my name is Kiera Scott. I'm a senior majoring in general studies in the College of LSNA. I have future plans of going to law school at U of M. And I'm just so excited because one of my main focuses is for me just helping to break cycles of generation poverty. I'm from Detroit. I grew up in circumstances that would pretty much just leave anyone for their entire life. And I just thank God that you know, I was blessed to, you know, meet mentors and find access to resources that helped me to climb about my situation because it was a rough one and I did spend a lot of time going in circles. I didn't even go back to school till I was 29 and I was so excited to graduate with my associate in general studies and transfer over to U of M Ann Arbor. I never even thought I had a chance at U of M and now I'm in senior year. It just feels like a dream still. Yeah, where did you transfer from? I transferred from Henry Ford Community College. Oh, excellent. I used to work at the U of M Dearborn campus and I love Henry Ford Community College. They do such a great job. Yeah, for me, it was like Henry Ford wasn't the first community college that I attended, but it was the first one where I felt like I belonged and I felt like you know, I actually had some guidance in what I was doing. And that is what prompted me to, you know, become a peer mentor myself for transfer students because I know that feeling, you know, feeling lost and not knowing where to go or how to do it. So I just think like these experiences have, you know, guided me to understand that I have to be what I was missing growing up through my college journey. When you look at those that you've mentored, who may have been first-generation college students just like yourself, Mm -hmm. what do you find are some of the common questions that they have that other students who have family members who maybe went through college know about that these students don't? I think it's more so just like, how do you do it, for one? A lot of students are like, how do you juggle so many different things? And it's like, you know, you just, you started doing it one thing at a time, but I think a lot of it is just like, how do you form relationships with your teachers? Why is that important? Like I thought as long as I went to class and did my work, that was enough or, you know, like just explaining and expressing to them the importance of building relationships and being involved on campus. Honestly, though, a lot of times students, they don't really come to me starting with questions and more so starts with them just expressing themselves to me. And it kind of like, goes into feedback from my personal experiences and like a dialogue 
I mean, I know there are questions as far as like, where do I go to get, you know, this resource or that, but I think the most important part in my experience with my students is not just necessarily my answering questions, but just listening and just being able to share my own perspective and my own, you know, experiences with them. And then a lot of times like the light comes on and, and they have a general idea of how to navigate a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you mentioned you want to go to law school. What do you hope to do with your law degree? So honestly, my law degree is to just be able to be legal representation for people that cannot afford it. Honestly, my heart is in mentorship and like education, but I have seen what the criminal justice system and mass incarceration has done to my family and to my people in general. Like my uncle did 19 years for crack. And, you know, my grandmother spent so much money on phone calls and on, you know, commissary. Not to say he shouldn't have done time, but for him to do 20 years at 19 years old, it just really hurt my heart, you know, watching my little cousin grow up without her dad. Just seeing what the criminal justice system has just done to African Americans in this country overall. And I just felt like I can't sit down and not do anything. So I felt like educating myself on the system itself and just being able to know that I can be that resource for somebody else was so fulfilling for me. You know, it goes beyond just the job title of a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 20 years for crack seems extreme. I've heard many people comment on how the war on drugs has become a war on minority populations. What are your thoughts on that? To give you some perspective, I taught college courses at Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility, and Mm -hmm. there it was the same thing. It was a lot of women who were in there for a really long time for drugs or defending themselves in domestic violence situations, which was, you know, they're not a harm to society, but here they are locked up when their crime was against a particular individual and not against you know, random strangers or others in society. So I love your perspective on like the war on drugs and how it's impacted communities. Yeah, for me, I think like a lot of it is just, it got a lot to do with this depiction. And unfortunately, the whole war on drugs thing that came about in the Ronald Reagan era really didn't have much to do with drugs. Like when he did a lot of his speeches regarding that, that's when the media followed with all these depictions of, you know, crack and it being like such a big issue in the African-American community. But a lot of that has to do with the lack of resources and opportunities provided to people in marginalized communities. And at the end of the day, you can't tell someone they can't have something and then punish them for trying to get it another way. That's how I feel. And that's why I feel like a lot of the resources that are allocated towards incarceration should be put towards education and uplifting these kind of communities because the same amount of money it costs to put someone in prison is the same amount it costs to fund them for college for a year. So looking at it from that perspective and understanding that a lot of times, just like when my uncle did it, it was not, you know, because he was a terrible person. He just saw my grandparents struggling to take care of us, you know, and was trying to help. And I'm not saying that it's right, but I'm saying that it goes deeper than surface level things. And I feel like there's people out here that 
get way less of time that do way worse stuff. Like with the example of the Flint water crisis, that was straight up genocide. And the fact that, you know, a handful of people got in trouble, but 100,000 people were affected by it. It really makes me wonder what is justice in this country and what is really considered a crime and how we look at crime should really be reevaluated because there's a lot of people who are stuck in situations because of the way that we perceive, you know, what is considered crime and what is mm-hmm. And that's becoming even more present in people's minds as things like the ruling on Breonna Taylor came down last week and we're seeing more exposure to how justice treats different populations. Yeah. And it's really sad because at the end of the day, regardless if we're paying tax dollars and putting them in jail or we're paying tax dollars and putting them in a position to contribute to society, we are still playing a part in this. I'm so grateful that, you know, in today's time with social media and the internet stuff, people are way more aware and it's becoming socially accepted that it's not right. You know, at first it was just swept under the rug and it was just something that was accepted. But more and more, I think, especially millennials, we don't have that view as much as we did a couple decades ago. When you look back over your accomplishments to date, um, what are some time points that you're really proud of? So for one, I would say when I abruptly lost my mother in 2010, this is another reason why I had a problem with the justice system because like there was no investigation. She was found dead and her boyfriend robbed her and nobody did anything about it. But to come from that and still raise my brother and my daughter and to still go on to complete community college and transfer to U of M, I think I'm so proud of that because there was a lot of elements in that whole entire situation that could have left me in a dark place. And I would have had justified to some reason, if that makes any sense, but to just grow beyond that and to move on to, you know, be there for students and, you know, like understanding that my mom didn't graduate high school. So there's a lot of parents, especially in the city of Detroit that don't have a clue about how to help their kids through college and stuff so to just be able to be that for somebody I'm really proud of that and I'm so excited I cannot wait to get started at the graduation with like creating mentorship programs and stuff for middle school and high school kids in Detroit mm-hmm. yeah that's amazing that you were able to stay focused and keep going towards your goals when all that was happening with your mom I'm so sorry about the loss of your mom Thank you. Yeah, it was hard. That's why I said, like, it took a while after that to get myself together mentally because it was so much. But when I did, and when I did find that support system, it made all the difference. So that's why I know the difference support can make on a person's life. Yeah, now, one thing I like learning from others is how you manage self-care during that very stressful time and how you manage it today, even with COVID and everything else going on. What do you do to kind of ground yourself and make sure that you're taking care of yourself as well as everyone else in your life? I sleep. (laughs) (laughs) It's so rare (laughs) nowadays. 
but you know what? I'm not overly religious. I grew up going to a non-denomination church. Like it wasn't like that, but I do believe that there are some things that are not meant for us to be able to understand. Like I said, I don't go dive deep into religion, but I do have a relationship and it's really kept me grounded through all of this stress. You know, I actually had COVID at the beginning of the spring semester and I was working and I was going to school and I remember like just laying in my bed and not being able to move and just like the feeling of helplessness and the only thing that gave me strength and the only thing that helped me through is some conversations I used to have with God. Wow. You actually experienced COVID. I'm really glad you made it through and that you're healthy now, it sounds like. Yeah, I went from a 4.0 before to a 2.7. Yeah, it was it was hard. But you did it. Yeah. You made it to this term, so that's a great accomplishment. It wasn't too long ago you found out that you were selected as an AAUW Mary Elizabeth Bittman Memorial Scholarship recipient. What was your initial reaction? My initial reaction was, it was shock because I had never gotten a scholarship. I never even understood like the whole scholarship process until I got to U of M, like the importance of filling them out and stuff. Like I said, I, I didn't have no one to help me through my educational experience. until I got to Henry Ford, I was just going off Google. Even then you only know what you know, because if you don't know what to ask, then what can you do? Mm-hmm. But it was like an indescribable feeling. Like I was so excited. I was so honored. I was just happy, you know, because like the year before, by the time I got my acceptance letter from U of M, it was too late for me to apply for the CEW scholarship. So I was excited that I was able to apply this year. Yeah, I remember when I first received a scholarship, I was also first gen. And I remember it just being like, oh, gosh, somebody like believes in me. Like I carried that with me. You know, I carry it with me now of thinking about, okay, that first scholarship, like those folks believed in me enough. So if they believed in me, I should too. It's like yeah. this weird pat on the back that kind of stays with me even, you know, 20, 30 years later. Yeah, like exactly. It's just so uplifting, you know, it's, it's just so uplifting. And then the feeling you get to know that you're making your family proud and being the first to do something like that is indescribable. Now, what are your hopes for the upcoming year? So I hope to, like, complete a documentary about my senior year experience. I've been working on it since the beginning of the semester. And, you know, like, especially being a field organizer during this historic election, I've just been kind of, like, documenting my experiences and stuff. So I look forward to, you know, creating that documentary. And um, I'm also working on a memoir because there's not too many people from Detroit that make it to U of M, especially that were in part of a DPS system. And there's so many people back home. And I just really want to be like a light of encouragement for them. Because like I said, I didn't go back to school to 29. So those are two things that I'm really looking forward to working on. And just like uh, working on creating my mentorship program for like the middle and high school age kids in Detroit. Uh-huh. Yeah, do you have any faculty members who are helping you with the memoir? Yes. I call her Pat. Oh, Pat Gern. Yeah. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, that's so cool that you're working with her. She is completely a phenomenal mentor. 
Um, so final question is, given all that's currently going on, what's one thing you wish you could tell your peers? Do not just go to class. Form relationships with your professors and people around campus because they're not just there to give you work. Like they're actually there to support you and to help you fulfill your dreams. But they don't know unless you tell them. That's great. Kara, thank you so much uh, for taking part in this interview. It's truly been an honor to meet you, and I'm so glad you've made it to U of M and that you're a part of the CEW community. Can't wait to follow you as you create change and ripples throughout the world. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I appreciate that. I, I really do. Thank you for listening to CEW's podcast, Strength in the Midst of Change. To learn more about this episode or the services and virtual programming offered by CEW+, please visit cew.umich.edu. Here at CEW+, we navigate circumstantial barriers by providing academic, financial, and professional support to help you reach your personal potential. Established to support women through higher education, we lift up women and all underserved communities at the University of Michigan and beyond. Through career and education counseling, funding, workshops, events, and a diverse, welcoming community, we exist to empower. We are CEW+, and we are here to help you reach your potential. The University of Michigan resides on the traditional territories of the three fires peoples, the Ojibwa, Adawa, and Potawatomi.